What is the best, the most unexpected news that you've ever heard? I wonder if you remember that moment in your lives. Um, Perhaps it was the birth of one of your children. Maybe it was when your wife actually agreed to marry you and you were unexpectedly shocked. What's the best and most unexpected news that you can remember ever hearing? Laura Hildebrand uh, is an author who recently, a couple years ago, published a great book called Unbroken. It's a book about a World War II bomber whose name was Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini is still alive. He's now about 95 years old, and he lives in California. Zamperini, before he entered into the military, was an Olympic-level track and field star, and he entered into the military and became a bomber and fought in World War II. And the story of Unbroken is the story of Zamperini's flight in the South Pacific and subsequent crash into the waters of the South Pacific after he had been spotted by the Japanese and shot out of the air. He lived for a number of weeks on a life raft with a couple of his colleagues, both one of whom was eventually to die, and then they eventually made their way to land, but it was not the sort of land they wanted to make their way to. (laughs) It was enemy-occupied territory as they landed upon the Japanese coastline and were captured and made prisoners of war. The story continues by recording for us, and this is a true story, the unbelievable horrors that Zamperini endured as a POW in a Japanese prison camp for a number of years. He barely survived. Had he not been a world-class athlete, there's no way he would would have even survived the plane crash, much less survived the imprisonment itself. But eventually, uh, as we know, the Americans and the Allies won the war and the Japanese lost the war, and Zamperini heard news on the radio, the story tells us, the Japanese radio, that the war was ending and that the Japanese and the Axis powers were losing. And the next day, the prisoners were woken early in the morning and marched out of their prison cells down into the jungle towards a river. There were armed guards on either side, and the prisoners thought undoubtedly that this was the moment of their death. They'd been treated terribly. They'd been abused and scorned and mocked for months upon months. And now that they knew the war was ending, they expected at this moment to receive a bullet between the eyes and their bodies left to float down the river. Just as they were approaching the river banks, the scraggly, beaten-up prisoners, they heard a sound overhead. And as they looked up, they saw planes flying very low, And then they looked and realized that it was not the Japanese flag that was flying. It was the American flag. They had been discovered and rescued as the Allied powers began making their way into enemy-occupied territory. And the Japanese men, rather than shooting them, announced to them that the war was over and that they were free to go. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine the unexpected, sheer delight of hearing that kind of news in that kind of situation. Now, Christianity tells us, and it has told us for century upon century, that the best and most unexpected news that this world, that you and that I can ever hear, is that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, died and was buried, and now is alive. Christians have proclaimed that to be true for years, for centuries, for millennia. We believe it to be true. 
We believe that it's true, and we believe that it is meaningful. Just like that news that Louis Zamperini heard was true and meaningful. We believe the resurrection of Jesus to be both true and meaningful. You know, if, if Zamperini and the other POWs had been told, hey, you've been rescued, but that news wasn't true, then obviously it's not good news. But it was also meaningful to them. It was not just something that was a fact. It was something that was relevant. You know, if it was some random person in Iceland and he had been told, hey, there's some POWs in Japan that just got freed, they would have said, that's great. I'll chalk that up to one for the good guys. But it isn't necessarily relevant or meaningful. For Zamperini, the news was great and unexpected because it was true and meaningful. The resurrection of Jesus is both true and meaningful, according to Christian testimony, according to the Word of God. And so we want to spend just a few minutes tonight thinking about the resurrection of Jesus on this great Easter Sunday evening. Now, if you're not really familiar with the Bible, let me tell you that Matthew's record, which is what was just read for you, is one of five records, actually, of Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. There's the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there's Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. These four Gospels spend about a third of their time on the last week of Jesus' life. John, in fact, spends about half of his entire gospel on the last week of Jesus' life. They are, they are focusing intently on Jesus' trial and on his crucifixion and on his death and burial and on his resurrection. Matthew believed that the resurrection was true and that the resurrection was meaningful. In fact, if you could sum up in one statement what I want to communicate to you tonight and what I believe the Bible communicates to us about the resurrection of Jesus, you could do it this way. The resurrection of Jesus did really happen. And because it really happened, it can change everything about your lives. The resurrection of Jesus did really happen. And because it did really happen, it can change everything about your lives. I want to show you two things. The truth of the resurrection and the meaning of the resurrection. The truth of the resurrection and the meaning of the resurrection. So first, the truth of the resurrection. I'll make three sub-points here to show you why I believe and why I think you should believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is factual, that it is true. One is a general point, and then two are points in particular from this text. By the way, that's a good question to ask. Is this something that really happened? Undoubtedly, some of you here tonight doubt the veracity of this narrative that was read. You're not sure, maybe, if Jesus really did physically rise from the dead. Some of you, undoubtedly as well, have believed that this is true for most of your lives. But even if you believe it's true, it's worth examining why. It's not a good enough reason to say, my mom told me so. And that's why I believe that the resurrection is true. I'm glad your mom told you that, but there are better reasons, even though I love all your moms. Happy Mother's Day in a couple of weeks, right? The resurrection is true, and there are very good reasons for believing it to be so. Let me show you three of them. First, the resurrection is true. We can see it as factual because of the reliability of the sources. The reliability of the sources. I had a conversation with a lady this week about this very issue. So if you think it's irrelevant, then it's not, because it comes up all the time. Um, I was sitting in Starbucks, and I struck up a conversation with a lady, and she saw me working on this sermon, and I get this question a lot. She's like, what are you doing? Do you, like, not have a real job? I was like, no, I'm a pastor. You know, I don't have a real job. I sit in Starbucks <laughs> and work on sermons and read my Bible, and you can all be jealous of that. But we ended up talking about 
the resurrection, and I begin to tell her, yeah, I'm preaching on Matthew 28, and she said, that's great, you know, and I think that that's a great story, and uh, probably part of it was true, and part of it was, you know, just sort of made up, and, and the church really wanted it to be true, and so over the centuries, stories have sort of been built, and legends have been built around it, so that now you have the story that you have, and I thought, wow, man, I can test out my sermon on you, that's amazing, um, because that's exactly the point I want to make, and it, it went okay, by the way, my conversation with her, I don't see her here tonight, so it didn't go great, <laughs> but it went okay, um, a lot of people think that, that they think, you know, Matthew, he, he, read, he, he read some of the documents that were available and maybe talked to some people, and, and if you read the Bible, part of it's true and part of it's myth. It's sort of this blend, this mixture of legend and fact. And a couple of hundred years after the events took place, the church sort of consolidated the stories because they wanted to, they wanted to make the story look believable and credible, and they wanted to be powerful and have influence, and so they put out the Bible. That's the way it happened. I want to put forward to you tonight that that's actually not the way that it went. Um, these sources are actually much, much more reliable than that when you're reading them in your Bibles. Matthew wrote this letter, this gospel, about 30 years approximately after these events took place. Paul wrote about 15 years after these events took place. That's very, very important. They weren't written hundreds of years after the facts. They were written in the same generation, more or less, of the events themselves. And that meant that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul could go around and talk to people who were there. They could go around and ask people who were eyewitnesses of these amazing events and say, how did it happen? And that's exactly what they did. The accounts that we read in the Gospels are based upon the testimony of people that were eyewitnesses to the events themselves. And so Matthew, in that generation, while those people were still alive, compiled this Gospel and it began to circulate. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, just to give an example, says, Jesus was raised from the dead and 500 people saw him at once. And then he adds this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. A lot of them are still alive today. Now, why in the world would Paul have added that? Because he wants you to think, oh, I'm going to go ask old Josephus, who lives right down the block, because he's one of the guys that was around 30 years ago in Jerusalem. Maybe he knows someone that saw this, or maybe he himself saw it. And so Matthew was relying upon the testimony of people that were there and saw what happened, and he wrote the letter, the gospel, while those people were still alive. Why is that important? It's important because it shows us that the sources are reliable. If Matthew and other people that wrote the New Testament were concocting this, if they were making this up, or if they were just exaggerating liberally, and then they begin to circulate these gospels, when a bunch of the people that saw the events are still around, what do you think would have happened? Some of the people would have said, that's not the way it happened. I, I was there. I saw that. You know, I was, I was alive for that. That's not the way it went. And Matthew's gospel would have never gotten off the ground. It wouldn't have ever have been seen as credible. But that's not what happened. Matthew's gospel is obviously seen as credible. It survived that time, and it survives even to this day. The sources you see are reliable. They're based upon eyewitness testimony, and those eyewitnesses were still around to make sure that what Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul wrote was exactly what really happened. The, the reliability of the sources. A second reason why you should believe the resurrection is true is found right here in this text. We've talked about the text, and I want to talk 
to the t- talk with you about the text itself. Um, look in verse 1, Matthew 28, 1. After the Sabbath, toward the first day of the week, the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Second reason of the truth of the resurrection, the first witnesses. What's unique or significant, if not unique, about these two first witnesses? They're the key witnesses in the, ta- the case of whether or not Jesus is raised from the dead. They're the first to see the tomb rolled away. They're the first to see the angel. And they're the first to see Jesus in his resurrected body on, on the road as they go back. Why is that significant? What does it matter? Here's why it's significant. Notice that both of these witnesses are women. And women, 2,000 years ago in ancient Jewish culture, had no social standing whatsoever. Their their testimony wasn't even allowed in court. It wasn't seen as credible. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, or that's good, that's bad, but that's just the way it was. Women were social outsiders. They had no, no voice. They weren't even seen as citizens. And so why, if Matthew is fabricating this story and trying to get people to believe it to be true, would he make the first and most important two witnesses people that have no social standing whatsoever in that culture? It makes no sense if Matthew wants to create or exaggerate a story that people are going to believe that he would make Mary and Mary the two key witnesses in the case of whether or not Jesus has been raised from the dead. He would make Jewish men who had authority, who had some standing with the religious leaders in particular. They they would have been the key witnesses, but no. The women are the key witnesses. The only reason that Matthew would have made women the key witnesses is if that's exactly the way it happened. (laughs) He has absolutely no reason if he's creating this story just to get people to believe it, to make the two key witnesses people that had no credibility in that culture. So the fact that the sources are reliable means that the resurrection is true. The fact that the first two witnesses are women means the resurrection is true. Third reason why the resurrection should be seen as true, and I think the most profound one, and that is the change in the witnesses. Now, if you read through the text, you'll notice that these two women are the only ones out there going to Jesus' grave to anoint his body. The men, the guys that had followed him for three years, are nowhere to be found. You know where they are? They're hiding in the upper room, worried that what happened to Jesus is about to happen to them. Peter's looking through the peephole in the door, thinking, the soldiers are coming, everybody scram. Just like he had scrammed a few days earlier. You see, these guys that had followed Jesus, frankly, are presented as cowardly and fearful and doubting and weak here in Matthew chapter 28. But then Jesus comes back to life, and at the very end of this gospel, this text wasn't read, but it's a very famous text, Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Go into all the world and make disciples. He says that to these cowardly, weak fearful men, and they say, all right, we'll go. Now, how, how did those guys, who, by the way, there's no way these 11 guys could have made up an elaborate resurrection story. (laughs) They couldn't have done it. But if they had made it up and were all sort of in on this great con, there is no way, no way that they are going to go 
all over the world and spread this message that they know to be a lie. There is no way that these cowardly, fearful men are going to go all over the Roman Empire and boldly proclaim what they know clearly to be untrue. There's no way that Peter and James and John and the rest are going to risk having their heads chopped off, being crucified upside down, being burned alive, or being exiled to an island to die for something that they know is a lie. You see, the only explanation for the rest of the lives of these men who witnessed what happened to Jesus is that it really happened. First of all, they're not smart enough to make something like that up without anybody giving it away. And second of all, if someone were to threaten me with death for something that I knew was a lie, I'm going to say, all right, fine, I fess up. I exaggerated. It's not true. We stole the body. That's what I would have said. But that's not what they said. They died. They died. And it wasn't for something that they believed was a lie. It was for something that they profoundly felt and believed to be true because they saw Jesus. You see, the only explanation for why the first witnesses were women, the only explanation for why these gospels got off the ground in the first place, the only explanation for why these men would go all over the world and tell people that Jesus died on a cross and is now alive is if it actually happened. You see, the resurrection is credible. It's true. Now, you might be sitting out there thinking, okay, <laughs> I buy it. That, that's great. That's true. Okay, good deal. I'll, I'll just make a note in my head and think something really amazing happened in ancient Israel a couple of thousand years ago. A dead guy was raised again. There's a lot of weird things that happen in the world. There's a lot of things that I can't explain. There's a lot of things that I'm sure I'll never begin to understand that I believe maybe happened. What does it have to do with me? And so I want to show you now that the resurrection isn't just something that's true. It's not just a, it's not a naked, bare fact of history. It's something that's both true and meaningful. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is not just about an ancient Jewish mid-30s guy dying on a cross and then something miraculously happening to him and then everyone went on their own merry way. No, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. I believe it can change everything in your life, too. You've seen the truth of the resurrection. Let me talk to you just for a few minutes about the meaning. The meaning of the resurrection. Four things the resurrection means. Quickly. First, the resurrection means, it means that Jesus is telling the truth. Look at the passage with me again. You'll see when the angel appears to the women in verse 5, he says, Don't be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who is crucified. Verse 6, He's not here. He is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And then they, they said, um, where is it? I just lost my point. Uh, oh, yeah, verse 6. Sorry. He's not, risen. he's not here. He has risen. And look at those next words. As he what? As he said. And then down in verse 10, when Jesus appears to the women, he says, Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus is repeating there something he had said on the night before he died, which you can see in Matthew chapter 26, verse 32, one page back. He said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be raised again, and I'm going with you to Galilee. You see, Jesus predicted. 
He told multiple people on multiple occasions that he was going to be crucified and that he was going to be raised again from the dead, and that's exactly what happened. If the resurrection means anything, it means at least this. Listen, Jesus is credible. Jesus, if he is someone who can predict that he's going to die and be raised again from the dead, he is someone who is worth you listening to as well. He is speaking the truth. If Jesus says, I'm going to be raised from the dead, and then that really happens, then to me that means that we should listen to the other things that Jesus has to say. And listen, Jesus has to say a lot of hard things. He has to say a lot of great things, too. He has to say a lot of complicated things. But he says many things. And if he said, I'm going to be raised from the dead, then I think we should also listen to him when he says things like, no one can come to the Father except by me, I am the door. When he says things like, life is found through faith and not through seeking to be more and more religious. When he says things like, one day there is going to be a final judgment where the wrongs of this world are going to be made right. When he says things like, Blessed are the poor and the meek and those who are persecuted for my sake. Those are difficult things. But if Jesus said, I am going to be raised from the dead and that happened, then I would encourage you to at least give him the time and the intention and the seriousness when you listen to the other things that he said. Because the resurrection means that Jesus is telling you the truth. Secondly, the resurrection means that Jesus brings joy. Verse 8. Imagine what these ladies thought, by the way. They'd just seen this angel scared out of their minds. The angel says, go tell the disciples, and they take off, running as fast as their sandals will take them back to the upper room. And Matthew says, they departed quickly. They're sprinting out of there from the tomb, and they are filled with two things, fear and great joy. Fear and great joy. And then they see him. He appears to them on the road. And isn't this just a wonderful moment? It's a beautiful part of the story where they see him in the road and he simply says to them, greetings, which really means something like, peace be with you. And and they see him and they, they stop in their tracks and they fall down at his feet and they grope his feet and they begin to weepingly worship him with joy. These women experienced a joy that they had never before experienced, partly because their friend and their teacher Jesus was dead and now they had him back to life before their very eyes. Their story teaches us something as well. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't just bring joy to those who knew him personally in Galilee 2,000 years ago. No, the resurrection of Jesus also is intended to bring you joy now. And here's why. If Jesus is alive, then he has beaten back death. If Jesus is alive, then he has overwhelmed with his power the suffering and the pain and the evil of this dark world. If Jesus is alive, then all of the sad brokenness of our daily lives one day will be a figment of our imaginations. 
If Jesus is alive, then it's possible for death not to win. If Jesus is alive, it's possible for goodness to triumph. If Jesus is alive, then all of the pain, all the suffering, all the sorrow, all of your own deaths, future though they be, can be overcome. They can be overcome by his power. You know, I'm a sucker for, uh, <laughs> I'm a sucker for the YouTube clips that show um, men and women who have been deployed coming back home. Super big sucker for those, man. Don't ever send me one of those because I'll just start crying again in Starbucks and people will look at me strangely. There's that pastor crying. Um, big sucker for those. Because it's just such a, it's a beautiful thing, especially when, you know, the dad surprises his kid, you know, at school. Or it happens at a football game. I mean, it's just great. I love it. Because it's just an amazingly joyful reunion in the middle of very, very difficult circumstances. And some of you I know have experienced that. Uh, I remember when my son, my first son was born. And I, that is maybe the one moment in my life where I was able to say what the women felt here. Fear? Fear, A. <laughs> yes. What is this thing, right? Fear and great joy mixed together at the same time. Because when you look at a new life, there's something that fills your heart with hope. You see, when these women looked at the new life of Jesus, their hearts were filled with joy. And the same can be true of you. The resurrection is meaningful because Jesus tells the truth. It's meaningful because Jesus brings joy. Third, it's meaningful because Jesus takes away fear. Look again at the text. Verse 5, the angel appears to the women. First thing, what's the first thing he says? Do not be afraid. Jesus, verse 10, after he says, peace be with you, and after the women take hold of his feet, looks at them and says, do not be afraid. The number one command in all of the Bible is do not be afraid. If Jesus is alive, and if you believe that, You have nothing to fear. What are you afraid of? What right now is occupying you deep into the night or early in the morning as you lay on your bed unable to sleep? Is it a future that is uncertain? Is it kids that have issues that you can't handle? Is it fear of financial loss? Maybe it's something that has already happened to you. The guilt or the shame of your upbringing. The pain of a past betrayal or rejection. Maybe you're terrified of being all alone. Maybe you're utterly mortified at the idea that one day someone is really going to get to know me, and when they do, they will leave. Maybe you're scared of getting sick. Maybe you're scared of not being in control of what happens to your own body. Undoubtedly, to some degree, all of you are afraid of your own deaths. We live a life that in so many ways, so often, is overcast with fear. And Jesus knows that, which is why after he was raised from the dead, he said, do not be afraid. Jesus can say that, you see, because Jesus in his own life (laughs) experienced 
He experienced everything that you're presently experiencing and overcame them. Jesus knew what it was like to get stabbed in the back by your friend. Jesus knew what it was like to be utterly abandoned and all alone. Jesus knew what it was like to find out, have people find out what he's really like and then want nothing to do with him anymore. Jesus knew what it was like more than you will ever know what it's like to have God turn his back on him, which is exactly what happened to him on the cross. Jesus knew what it was like to face the fears that we face, but Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, fear will not triumph. Because he is alive, the grave has been shut. Because he is alive, if you believe in him and are his friend, if you are united with him by faith, you are functionally invincible until the day he decides to take you home. There is nothing that you are presently facing that is too great for the power of the resurrection. The resurrection proves that. That is what it means. Finally, the resurrection means, it means that Jesus, that God, is with us. He's with us. Look at what he says. Again, we didn't read this text, but it's the very last thing that Jesus in Matthew's gospel says to his people. He tells them, go, do this crazy thing. I know you're, you're scared, you're afraid, but go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and behold, what? I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is going to always be with you because Jesus is alive, having overcome all of the brokenness of this world. Jesus is with you in your darkest hours. Jesus is with you in your most jubilant moment. Jesus is with you as you live, and Jesus will be with you the moment you die and forever afterwards. You see, because Jesus died in our world and was raised in our world, we have absolutely sound proof that God in Jesus is forever with us. He will never turn on you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. That's what Christians call the gospel. It's not just news. News can be completely irrelevant. It is good news. It's news that is meaningful. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is risen. And the best thing about that news, the greatest thing about it, is that you can receive all of the benefits of it completely for free. You see, Jesus does not wait for you to get your act together before these things have meaning for you. Jesus does not wait he does not wait for you to say, I'm going to just put on my nice Sunday clothes and decide to get religion before he will make these things true for you. Jesus does not wait for you to, for you to stop doing all of the bad things that he knows you can never stop on your own and to start doing all the good things that he knows you can never start on your own. No, Jesus takes all of the steps that are necessary to be taken to have renewal in your life. That's what we call grace. See, all these things we've been saying about the resurrection come to us 
utterly and completely free of charge, no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, or where you're going. All you have to do is believe that it is true. So do you believe it? It's good news. It's the best, most unexpected thing you could ever hear. And if you don't yet see why, you can be certain that you haven't yet fully understood it. Let's pray.